Hello, and welcome back to Hope, a podcast wishing to inspire listeners everywhere with weekly stories and personal testimonies from our wide range of guests. The Webster's Dictionary defines hope as a desire accompanied by expectation of or belief in fulfillment. I'm your host, Danny Daniel, and thank you for listening. Today, you're going to hear from Reverend Tommy Townsend about his journey through addiction, loss, and now recovery. He has a very powerful story to tell, so let's jump right into it. Hello. Tommy, you're on the yes. Danny Daniel Show. Hey, Danny. How are you? Nice to meet you. Well, I'm so glad to have you on with us here. You've got a story to tell, and we're going to get right into it. Uh, I, uh, I'm always amazed at the variations of the stories and the depth and the breadth of them, and you've got that all in one package. Uh, let's, let's always talk about the childhood. Everybody says, you know, if anything ever goes wrong with you, it was something that happened in the childhood. I don't believe that, but, uh, that's what everybody else says. Uh, what about your childhood? Well, you know, Danny, what I love about your show is you were going to end with this beautiful thought of hope and you can't, you can't really talk about hope until you take a look at some of the trenches you've been through to get there. Cause I think only then do you really truly appreciate that. And so, you know, I was, I was born in, in South Carolina. I was the oldest son of a, um, of what would be a family of, of five. I had a younger brother and sister and, um, uh, was, my dad was an up and comer in the international business world and construction. And by all accounts, my childhood was a really wonderful childhood. I mean, blessed my mom and dad stayed together their entire marriage. And, um, you know, it, it, on life's terms, I would say I was set out on a good course. I had I had the right pedigree, if you will. I came from uh, deep-rooted Southern families with all those funny-sounding Southern names and that I still am saddled with today. And um, along with that came some, um, some uh, expectations I put on myself uh, to try to live into those um, ideals of my family and my dad and and all those things, but um, I had a wonderful childhood. I mean, I I was um, taught the value of work. I had a, my dad um, would would give us and provide things for us, but we always had to go work at the farm and earn our allowance and do this. And so I, I had a good foundation setting out on life. Um, I mean, I really looking back at my childhood, it was nobody has a perfect childhood. But um, up until um, my graduation from college, it was it was a it was a pretty good life. Well, what about uh, anything that uh, any events that happened during your childhood that you are memorable for you? Uh, Did you uh, uh, get caught speeding and have to go to jail or anything (laughs) like that? Well, as any teenager, I challenged my 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 mom and dad along the way, Um, you know, uh, I did have one event in high school where I was at a, uh, a, a rival high schools. Um, we used to call them uh, rallies after the football game. And we were on the wrong side of town and uh, we ended up being carted off to, to jail about five of us in the back seat of a car. And um, they made us sit there. These are the old days, you know, of course, and they made us watch them parade everybody else and put them in jail. And then they waited till about two o'clock in the morning and called our parents, which, at that point, I would have rather I think I would have chosen jail than to go home to be under the wrath of my father when that was that call was made. But but really, no, no real life consequences. I mean, I um, I, I, I was an average athlete. I was an average student, but I, I had some pretty lofty goals. I 
I had loved aviation. I started flying when I was 15 and soloed on my 16th birthday and um, wanted to go and, and hopefully one day fly jets off carriers in the Navy. That was one of my aspirations. And all everything just kind of fell into place um, for me in, in, in life. But that, that's probably the most traumatic thing from my childhood that I can remember. Well, you know, I can kind of relate to that. Um, when I was a, a young buck, maybe 16 years old, something like that, I got the word that a professor from, professor from the University of Georgia had this gorgeous daughter that, that they had just moved to town. And <laughs> somebody suggested, that, Danny, you ought to go out with her. I said, well, maybe I should. Maybe I should. So I went and picked her up, and it was a rainy, nasty night and all like that. And I reached around there to give her a kiss and drove off the road into a ditch <laughs> <laughs> just to try to get a kiss. And the, the policeman showed up, and uh, he said, uh, now, who are you, son? I said, I'm uh, Danny Daniel. He said, who's your daddy? I said, Graham Daniel. He said, we ain't going to take you anywhere because when your dad gets through you, it'll be all over anyway. But anyway, uh, how about you thinking about going to Citadel? Now, that's, uh, that's a big deal. I- well, yeah, that's, my dad was a Marine um, for a brief time um, during the Korean uh, War time. And my grandfather was uh, a World War II vet. And I grew up, um, you know, being from the South and a Southern family like that, there was um, always instilled in me this great sense of service to my country. And um so I, I grew up always thinking that I would I would do some time in the military. I was just taught that from an early age that it was my responsibility as a good Southern man, Southern gentleman to serve his country. And so, believe it or not, um, I applied to one college and one college only, and it was the Citadel. And um, um, I, looking back, I still find that hard to believe. But it gave me the opportunity to pursue my career in aviation Um and still had the choice uh, up until my junior year to make a decision whether I wanted to go on active duty or not. So I went to the Citadel. I studied business uh, because my father was in business, and I thought that was what I needed to do to um, follow in his footsteps. And then somewhere along the way, I've got to interject this because this is a part of my story. Um, God started messing with me in a big way. So now when I entered the Citadel in 1981, I had two goals set in mind. I was either going to consider uh, going to seminary upon graduation and becoming a priest or fly jets off carriers. Pretty different paths, but those two were the, the two goals that I set before me as I entered, entered the gates of the Citadel back in, in those days. Now, when did that happen? Was that October or what? October of 09? Oh, gosh, no. October to 09 is... Uh, is where my story gets really interesting. So, um, well, go go back to why you didn't go to the Citadel or go the aviation route. Uh, well, I did go to the Citadel, and I did graduate from there in 1985. My senior year, I came to school, and uh, my bishop told me that I was young and I needed to go serve my country because he felt like I needed to experience life for a bit, and I failed my flight physical the very same month and lost my opportunity to fly in the Navy. So I ended up going into the Army upon graduation from the Citadel and serving uh, as an Army officer for four years active duty over in Germany when I graduated. But the thing was, Danny, both of my goals had been pulled out from underneath me, and I hit life. The headwinds of life finally started to hit me square in the face because things all of a sudden weren't working the way that you see Tommy had planned for life to turn out. So what that began was a 25-year 
walkabout for me trying to use all of life skills that I've been taught to try to direct and um, achieve the outcome in life that I wanted. And the whole time, unfortunately, um, I was leaving a trail of destruction in my rearview mirror that I really couldn't see for a while. Good grief. Uh, so you uh, unfortunately learned a lot of things about yourself. I did. And, and all along, I, I guess supposedly some of it is my gen- genetic makeups, but um, somewhere along the way, um, I uh, started developing a really terrible case of alcoholism. And, um, you know, drinking had been a part of my life um, really since probably age 16, because the drinking age was 18 when I was growing up. And it was just a part of my upbringing. It was part of the military. It was part of uh, the business world, when I got into business after I got out of the military, I entertained all the time. And um, all along, um, I kept thinking that life was getting better and better. And I did. It's really amazing, Danny. I managed to achieve some pretty successful things along the way. But all along, I was, un- un- unbeknownst to me, um, I was I was beginning to spiral and into a crash that would happen to me in October nine when my, my whole life fell apart. Yeah. Had you been married then? Or? Yeah, there was, there was a series of relationships. Um, I have, uh, three beautiful sons, wonderful sons. Um, so, you know, again, all along through this 25 years, I had success in the business world. I had success and failure, mostly failures in my personal life. Um, and, uh, but in my mind, that was just part of the deal. And I, I was, I was quick to blame everybody else for my, my failures and not take responsibility myself, um, which just, which was made things even worse. Well, that's so typical with, uh, with alcohol, you know, you're never at fault. It's of course always, not. Somebody of course else. Not. I've yeah, seen I got, that in my family. Yeah. Yeah. It's just terrible. And it's, um, I was telling somebody that came to see me the other day, I, I was so blind to the fact of what was going on around me. Um, I just could, I just couldn't see, you know, I got angry at God. I lost my brother. He died at 29 of a heart attack just suddenly. And then within a few years, my dad got cancer and died. My grandmother died. And then it was just this one series after another. And it was just, it was just too much. And I, my only way to solve my pain and was the alcohol and, um, I knew I had a problem, Danny. I knew I had a problem long before uh, 2009, and I tried all the ways that if anyone's listening to this down the road who's who's struggled with alcohol knows, I've tried everything possible, humanly possible, to try to stop or or contain it myself uh, with with no luck. Well, the the twelve steps just doesn't work every time, does it? Well, I hadn't even started that. You see, I was just trying to use Tommy's willpower and Tommy's. Tommy's know it all to try to fix the problem, which just didn't work. And, uh, you know, I finally got, got to where, um, I realized I couldn't live with it and I couldn't live without it. And I really got, was pretty depressed. I had been reduced to living on a mattress on the floor and a friend of mine's a con- condominium they were trying to sell. And, um, I'd been asked to leave the home that I had built and, uh, was living in. And it was, uh, it was a pretty, a pretty dark place to be, um, well, sometimes you've got to hit the very bottom if you want to be able to bounce back up, don't you? Well, it's the only way. I'm I'm I, I'm here to tell you. I I was pretty hard headed when it came to that. I um I took my my youngest son home after my visit with him that weekend, and uh, literally came back to Atlanta um, 
walked into that empty apartment with a mattress on the floor and withdrew most of the money I could physically get out of the bank so nobody could figure out where I was. And I, I literally, Danny, walked out the door and with the intent of trying to drink myself to death um, that weekend and literally went downtown Atlanta and walked about for about four days. Um, but obviously I woke up um, late, late in October on the floor of uh, my hotel room where I finally asked for help. Well, it sounds like to me that that guy was still messing with you. <laughs> he never did stop, you see. <laughs> I don't know if you ever heard it, but an old colonel friend of mine, he calls God the hound of heaven. And uh, he, he continued his he messed with me my entire life. I can see it now, but I couldn't see it then. You're exactly right. Well, you you were chosen to be messed with, I guess, and that's a that's a good thing. Yeah, uh, it is a good thing. Uh, I, you know, I could go into detail, which I want, about alcoholism and family members and that sort of thing. And it's uh, it's so bad. It's so hard. But uh, it can be overcome. That's the good news. Well, that's the hope. Um, it You know, it certainly can. And so, um, you know, I, I don't know if we have time, but I, I mean, that's where it gets really good. Um, you know, after October for me, um, I... Uh, I literally called for help. My sister scooped me up off the floor, took me to a, a rehab hospital where I began 35 days of, of treatment. And, um, and as you know, a little bit about this disease, I, as soon as I started feeling healthy again, I tried to pick up the reins of the way I had tried to manage life again um, before then um, <laughs> with my next great plan for my next great adventure in life. And, um, but I, I, I wish I could say that I just took the recovery like, like, you know, a fish to water, but I didn't, um, I was just trying to get the pain relieved and get the pressure off my back from my mother and my family. And I just wanted to, 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 to do what I could to get all that relief taken away. And so how long, them, how long would you say the, the physical recovery took? I mean, was it a couple of months or a year or? Well, it's interesting for me. I mean, I think honestly, um, my that physical craving addiction for me left me pretty quickly um but my my willingness to surrender to and and accept the fact that um tommy didn't have all the answers to life's problems that took me a lot longer um i i was i was ready and convinced uh, when i was getting ready to leave the hospital that i was fixed you see and uh, probably one of the most powerful moments in the last 10 years of my life was i wrote a letter to my mother um, at age 46 and said, hey, mom, I'm finishing the end of this. Um, I need to come live with you for just a couple of months to get my feet back on the ground. And I got a letter about a week later from her and said, you know, son, I love you and I'm proud of what you've done, uh, but you are not welcome in my home. Oh, my you gosh. Are, you are not well yet. Boy, that hurt. Well, it did. I mean, you know, I don't care how old you are when your mama says you're not welcome at home. Uh, it's a pretty tough pill to swallow. And so she pretty much slammed the door in my face and forced my hand. And I um, I literally had a suitcase of clothes in my hand and a choice. I could either either walk out the door and figure out how to get a ride somewhere um, uh, because I had been filed divorce papers and got fired from my job in medical device sales while I was laying in the rehab hospital. And I had nowhere to go. And so um, I ended up coming to Brunswick, Georgia and at age 46. Um, and I lived in a halfway house um, 
here in Brunswick where my recovery really began to take flight. So that's how I ended up on the coast of Georgia. What a terrible place to go. <laughs> well, when I was given a choice, the only thing mom offered me was one way ticket to a halfway house it was one in the mountains and one on the coast. And I was right. You know, I went to Charleston. I was pretty much spent my summers on the, in, in the salt marshes of South Carolina. So I, I thought to myself, well, if I've got to do this and I might as well live near the coast. Um, and so that's why I chose Brunswick and came here, but I didn't know a single human being, uh, when I got here, um, I was picked up and brought to a house that had no, no heating and air conditioning per se, and was thrown into a group of about 14 other men who were trying to get sober. Um, it was, it was not a fun time for me. Not a fun time, but a great place to be. That's my favorite place in the whole wide world, St. Simon's. Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, that's where I'm sitting right now. Yeah. It's, I, it's an incredible blessing. Yeah. When I get big, I want to go back down and stay a couple of days. Well, you can come on and visit me anytime. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it, it's been it's been an incredible 10-year journey, and Danny. And, and it's um, – I mean, I, I, I was telling your assistant who called me, I, when I when I usually talk about this, I it usually takes me a good hour to um, to really share the depths of what can happen to someone when they when they get into this if they really apply themselves to 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 a, a program of recovery. Well, you're on the upside now. Tell us uh, what you're doing now uh, uh, professionally. Well, so professionally, um, I guess you have to really step back a little bit. So when I got here, I'd I'd been a, working in medical sales for most of those 20 something years after I got out of the military. And, um, I ended up going to work for Lowe's when I was in the halfway house and, uh, punched a time clock probably for the first time in my life. Um, and I, for two and a half years, I worked there, um, actually working there. I sold a weed eater to a beautiful lady who's now my wife, um, which we still laugh about to this day. And, um, um, Lost that job six months after we got married and um, ended up working, just doing odd and end things around the city for about 12 weeks in service to other people. And lo and behold, uh, um, the call to ministry came back to me stronger than it ever had been before, way back in the day at the Citadel. And um, I didn't believe it. And I didn't believe that anybody in their right mind would take a, a 48-year-old man now at this point uh, and even consider sending him to seminary and give him the responsibility of being a spiritual leader and 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 lead a congregation in a church. But with the support and encouragement of others, I went to see my bishop, and to my great surprise, um, he received me and heard my story, and um, and sent me to seminary. That was gosh, six years ago now, no more than seven, eight years ago now. So, you know, the walkabout my bishop sent me on back in 1984, because he said I needed to go get some life experience. I don't think little did he know, nor did I know what kind of life experiences I would get along the way, but it certainly has served me well where I sit today. So so you have a congregation? Or... I do. I do. I, I, I went and studied um, um, back and forth. I did a new travel program because I, I still was working and I got back into medical device sales after Lowe's. Um, and that's how I worked and went to seminary, um, over the course of three years and the process, uh, in the Episcopal church. And I was ordained a priest in November of 2016. And, um, 
now I'm uh, pretty much a full-time. So I, um, I now sit in uh, the, the vicar, the priest in charge here at this little um, Episcopal church right down the street from the village, walking distance from the village. And um, serve the most incredible group of, of people who, who teach me what it is to be uh, in service and ministry in the community every single day. And um, and because of my journey, Danny, that's the blessing of it all. I have I've been able to help and 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 help other families that are struggling with alcoholism along the way. And and I'm very open about it. It's um it's been a real joy. It's one of the greatest lessons I've learned because I would have never in a million years would have admitted ten years ago that I even had a weakness. Well, um, it sounds it sounds like he quit messing with you and he started using you. Well, I think when I was finally ready, um, there, there's another pastor that I listened to a lot and said, she says that, you know, God kind of picked me up by the scruff of the neck, dusted me off and said, OK, are you ready now? And uh, and that's really how I feel, because I had just exhausted literally everything within my power to try to rectify my life, rewrite the ship. Um, and every single thing that I tried failed me. You know, my 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 name, my education, my career in the military, my my time in medical sales, all of that meant nothing really and truly um, in terms of of living a good, hopeful life. Um, They just led me to more disappointment one after the other. Well, I like the way you're promoting our show and not even meaning to by using the word hope, but that is but our big word. And uh, Yeah, well, that's my life. That's what, that's, that's what my recovery has brought me. And there's just always hope, right? Just always hope. There's uh, always hope. Uh, so that's, uh, that's fantastic. Well, uh, I, I'm going to try to get my wife to uh, go uh, on our anniversary down there to St. Simon's. Maybe we can come by and hear one of your sermons or something like that but uh, you were welcome here anytime uh, well it is after covid <laughs> after covid that's right right uh we're just uh so glad that you've been able to be with us and tell us about your story you've got a, a great story to tell and i think that part of your remaining life is going to be helping other people with that uh with that addiction possibly uh, well danny without question i mean that's there's there is no doubt in my mind today where I sit that um, this is why I needed to go through all of those things. I could never be the priest that I am today without experiencing what I did in life. And here's the and here's the most important thing I want to say to folks that might be listening to this is that anyone in the depths of that darkness from whatever brings you there, whether it's addiction or whatever it is that brings you to that point, those voices that tell you that you are the only one that are feeling that darkness and that you're all alone is not the voice you need to listen to because it's not true. You know, we all think we're terminally unique and that we're the only ones that have ever in the history of the world experienced these problems that we feel that are so crushing in our life. But when I finally let go of my ego and laid it aside enough to listen and accept the help of people that I wouldn't have even considered worthy of talking to. And I hate to say that 20 years ago and they, their voices rang true and showed me how to live again. I realized that I wasn't alone. Well, you're, you're totally correct about that. I love your attitude. It's uh, I tell everybody all the time, life is 90% attitude and the other 10% doesn't count. 
Uh, I believe that, uh, particularly when it's a positive attitude. But uh, I think there is always hope, and I get people need to feel like they are worthy. They are worthy of what they receive. So thank you for being with us, and I wish you to have a great year and a great summer, and uh, keep everything rolling your way. You come in and introduce yourself if you come in the church. I'd love to meet you. Thank you so much. God bless you, Danny. Thank you very much. You too. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. What an incredible story from Reverend Tommy Townsend. I'm a large supporter of the UGA Miracle Group, which is a student-run organization that raises money for children's health care of Atlanta. Nothing like a child. They raise over $1 million a year, and you can be part of that. Just go to the ugamiracle.org and you can donate. Remember, any amount given is a step closer to saving a child's life. Remember to go to our website, thedannydanielshow.com, to submit your story. If you have one to tell, or even if you don't, we'd like to hear from you. Also, come back next week and weeks after that for more episodes. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Danny Daniel.